memory and connection and maybe even transformation during this time. Like what is going to happen? How are we all going to be different at the end of this? I think the moon can offer ways to just sit and ground into yourself and simultaneously reach out. And so I called this series Lessons from the Moon because I thought it was really, it was a deep experience for me during the pandemic. That's Yasmin Youssef, full-time, multi-layered visual artist. Previously, a user experience designer and professional dancer, ethereal observer and watcher of the moon. Her gilded artwork can shimmer in your very own home or would make a thoughtful gift for someone special since, hint hint, some gift-giving holidays are coming up. Yasmin's art studio is located in East Austin and you will hopefully be able to catch her at some upcoming art shows, depending on the pandemic. Side note, the podcast took a six-month pause so I could grieve a snowball of losses in my family, but I'm trying to channel that into my art, which perfectly aligns with this month's guest. I'm Angelica Norton. Stay tuned for my monthly chat. Hi, Yasmin. Hi, Angelica. Thanks for joining me on Chatty Crafties, a show where I celebrate my creative friends to get inspired by everyday art. We know each other because our husbands are best friends, and y'all are essentially family. Your husband, Sean, was also in one of my episodes, Generative Farmer. Now I'm thrilled to sit down with you and chat about art. Me too. I'm mm. happy to be here. Thanks for coming, man. I know you were a little bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I still am. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, it's good to be nervous to do different things and new things, right? Yeah, it's the first time I've done something like this. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But you've done a lot of things that are performing or being in front of people. Like, so we'll talk about dance and we'll talk about art. Um, what kind of artist are you? What kind of materials and types of art do you do? I am a mixed media and cyanotype artist. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with a little weekly inspiration. I haven't done this part of the podcast in a while. I was looking at the list you shared with me, and I thought it might make a good way to dive into what kind of art you make. For instance, we share a love of the color blue and are drawn to similar aesthetics. Um, do you want to talk about just kind of the things that you are drawn to and inspired by in your art? I am frequently inspired by textiles, patterns, shapes made in nature, nature also, good Mm -hmm. design, good furniture design, good software design, fashion design, jewelry design. I'm also inspired by vintage ephemera and the hunt for finding vintage ephemera. And yes, the color blue. <laughs> and by vintage ephemera, is this like postcards yeah, and vintage like fabric postcards. and wallpaper? and Yeah, anything that's 80 to 100 years old or more. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, I find a lot of history 
to be had in just holding them and looking at them and imagining who wrote this and what happened to them and what's their story, if it's a postcard or if it's wallpaper, what the house was like and what happened in those rooms, or if it's an antique map. So would something like that start a piece or do you just kind of collect these items? Both. I usually start most pieces with a layer of collage and often Mm -hmm this type of vintage ephemera. So there's a lot of hidden stories and the underlayers, which I, I really like to know that it's there. And sometimes if the, you know, interested art viewer wants to know more about the story, I will share some of that. Do you ever put the story in um, like a card that goes with the art or is it more just kind of a verbal storytelling to someone if they're interested? Is that like ever a layer of it? Yeah, it's usually a verbal explanation if somebody's interested. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes you may not even know that it's there, or I will just cover it all up and just show a little window of it. Uh-huh. Right, so right, right. it's like a little Easter egg. Yeah. What made you decide to pursue art full time? Because this was something that I've known you've been interested in since we've been friends. But a few years ago, I feel like you were just ready to dive in and be a full-time artist. Yes. Well, I've always been interested and had a passion for the arts. And when I was younger, that came up in the art form of dancing. And I did a lot of um, exploration in that field for many years. And I became a professional on some level as a dancer here in Austin with my local dance collective and then also touring nationally and internationally with bands. And I was doing that as a side hustle for my full-time job. And at some point, it just became a lot to do all the things all the time. Mm -hmm. It was really intense working in that day job and um, then traveling on the weekends and then coming back on Mondays and holding staff meetings. And yeah, it was a lot. I was burning the candle at both ends. And at some point I also needed something that was more quiet and introverted that I could do on my own without requiring group rehearsals and scheduling and all of that. And so you kind of took a step back from dancing and your day job at that point. Yeah. I had a death in the family and at the same time, one of my design contracts ended and so I took a step back at that point and started looking at it as a full-time experience. You have a room in your house dedicated to art. Has that made it easier to set aside time to paint, collage, and experiment? And you ended up with a full-time studio so like what was that jump? Like why would you need the room in your house and a studio outside the house? So at the beginning, I definitely used the room in the house specifically for exploring and having the time to create art. And then at some point, a friend of mine, Vino, she's a wonderful artist here in Austin, she had the opportunity to jump into a group studio situation at Cement Loop. Mm -hmm. And this was very close to my house and she did not know that but she reached out to me and said would you like to join me and a third artist in the studio and I I had to say yes I had my eye 
on that particular studio since Cement Loop opened, and it had always been a dream to to be there. It's such a nice, funky, yeah, old school Austin art complex, and I've had all my Easts there, East Austin Studio tours. I've shown there every year, and not too long ago, I guess in May, they came to us the artists in Cement Loop and said that they had to shut the whole thing down because developers had bought the entire neighborhood shopping center where Cement Loop was and they were going to tear everything down and put up multi-level apartment complexes and apartment and a multi-level parking garage and so for the past six months, since the beginning of January, I'd seen all the local mom-and-pop stores that serve the neighborhood disappear one by one. Yep. The neighborhood nail salon, the hair salon, the dollar store, mm-hmm. our really amazing taqueria. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really sad to see, actually. And it's also really upsetting to know that what's coming isn't going to even serve the neighborhood in any way like this foundational shopping center had for this neighborhood yeah and so you know that neighborhood is a full of one-story 60s ranchers and they're going to make that one of these brand new multi-level developments that just looks out of place in the middle of this neighborhood yeah so you had to leave there and you had even reached out to me about looking at an art space in our office but it it didn't seem like a good fit so where did you end up So I looked and looked and looked, and I also tried to organize uh, with some other Cement Loop artists to get into a space elsewhere in Austin, but honestly, it's really unaffordable. Yeah. And it's sad to see that so many artists are probably regularly being displaced because of this kind of development that is so popular right now in Austin. Yeah, yeah. And eventually I did find a space that I'm still halfway moving into Uh in Canopy, and I'm really excited to be there. Oh, that's a good spot. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be there, actually. Oh, I bet that will be really inspiring, kind of the same way with the other artists at Cement Loop. There's got to be something about the collective, you know, other people working on art that is inspiring to you. Exactly, Um, and being in that community and, you know, Working as a solo artist, it can get very isolating because mm-hmm. you're working on your own and I'm not part of a team. And so it's nice to have studio mates and also know that people are down the hall also working on their things. And yeah. Do you ever collaborate with other artists or is it more just kind of commiserating, sharing, <laughs> commiserating. <laughs> um, sharing info about shows? Like, have you ever shared pieces or I mean I know that y'all collaborate on art shows I mean that is a shared experience but I wonder yeah I've showed in group shows with other artists but I haven't worked on a piece specifically with another artist but I do often reach out to my artist friends and we talk about the business of art and yeah maybe commiserate in that way (laughs) because it's not easy it's not just about painting in a studio there's so much behind the scenes to make art work yes art business how has monetizing your art changed your work or how you imagine your pieces because the blurb you sent me was kind of about like marketing efforts and like writing newsletters and art Mm. descriptions and and I know it, it takes a lot of your day to kind of push the art out in front of people so besides taking time away from doing art 
has it changed how you produce art? Like, do you try and do it faster? Do you do a lot of runs? Do you choose certain materials that are less expensive so you can make more of them? Hmm, that's a great question. I think a lot of people have an idea that artists just paint all day. Mm -hmm. And maybe some do. Maybe they have a full team behind them supporting them and somebody making all their meals and cleaning the house and keeping on track of all the life stuff that also needs to happen. But I do have sprints of working in the studio and it all depends on upcoming shows. And at this, yeah, that uh really dictates my schedule. And also there's time that I dedicate to preparing for shows. So that could be building frames, documenting pieces, writing descriptions about the art and the inspiration behind it and maybe putting it on my website or I also have a profile on Sachi Art and and then so there's that whole thing which is time consuming but it's really methodical. The thing that I find takes the most time is marketing. Uh-huh. It's a really personal and vulnerable place of sharing, but it just takes me so much time to write content. Mm-hmm. writing the newsletter, writing social media posts, writing product descriptions do take time also. I mean, you and I have talked about Instagram on its own, and that can just be so exhausting because <laughs> it's not just, hey, here's a picture of my cat. It's like, okay, I need to get the right lighting. I need to make sure I'm putting all the hashtags. Product so photography. Be- oh, my, God. oh my it, gosh. It, it really does take so much effort, and then you want it to come across as genuine And not just flooding anyone's feed. So you have to think about how often you post. And for people who don't necessarily have like a business background like you and I, but we have to kind of wing it to get in front of people. It is, um, it's not the most fun. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like a necessary evil. It can definitely take up most of my day if I'm not careful, you know, as a solo entrepreneur, It's hard to do all the things all the time to run a business. The behind the scenes takes a lot of effort and is, you know, if you do it right, it's invisible to everybody else. It just looks like you're having a successful art career. But in fact, it takes a lot of work to, you know, prepare all the materials and get it out to your audience. And I am fortunate that the website, graphic design and tech pieces of it come easily to me but maybe there will be one day when marketing is second nature but yeah right now it does take a lot of time because your background is in user interface yes user experience design yeah I was like UX what does UX mean that's what that means (laughs) and so that means you would um design like an app or an do you know you've explained this to me so many times and I'm like what it's kind of a new career I suppose within the last 20 years as you know software and iPhone apps and tablet apps and all these things have come to the forefront but yes at the beginning of any software design project I would be the one speaking with business analysts and the company and their business goals and then understanding the customers and what the customers would want to get through the software experience without any frustration. Like if I were to design an app and this user was able to successfully complete their task using the app without being 
ticked off about anything, yeah, yeah. then I've done a great job. It, yeah. it should basically a good user experience designer will design software that makes the whole f- experience f- from point A to point Z on an, any kind of software app seamless. Yeah. So and easy. Yeah, because I've definitely been on a website where I'm like, who did this for this restaurant? <laughs> That's this is- exactly. Yes. That's interesting that you had a career kind of thinking about how someone would look at a piece of, I mean, it's not art, but maybe it is something creative you've done. And does that ever come into how you make art? Do you think about the experience of looking at your art as someone who has not seen the process? Hmm. I haven't thought about that question before. It's definitely left brain oriented, very focused on problem solving. And I really enjoy problem solving and puzzles and putting things together in a way that is correct. Like Uh that makes sense in my brain and probably to other people's brains, I hope. (laughs) So you probably really like making um, runs of things like your cyanotypes or encaustics, like where it's kind of the same process over and over, but you're trying something slightly different. Hmm. No, I haven't thought about it that way. I, I think of it more as being left brain, right brain. Mm. And after years of left brain focus, finally being able to let my right brain uh-huh. run wild a little bit more. Yeah. But it's still pretty much in check because I will often find problems to solve (laughs) at any time outside of the studio. They are well tethered. Talk to me about your schedule because I mean I know if this is a business you have some side of it that is just taking care of business. So like what is the schedule because it can't just be when the mood strikes. When do you make art? Well it definitely is driven by upcoming shows and all the things that need to align to make a show successful and If that means getting into the studio for dedicated amounts of time for as long as it takes, that's what it means. But also preparing for a show involves setting up how it's going to be laid out on the wall and how that experience would be for the person looking at it. Mm -hmm. And then also the logistics of photographing the work, having it framed, writing all the labels and prices, all that stuff. But There's a lot that goes in on the show and being in the studio doesn't happen when the mood strikes. I do, if I'm in more between shows, I do like to get in there in the afternoons and then do admin in the morning and studio time in the afternoon. I guess I'm wondering, for me, having a deadline, I get a lot of shit done. I just, I'm so much more productive because I know I've got to just, there's a sense of urgency to get a certain amount of pieces for me, you know, designs. I have a certain checklist I have to get done before the presentation. But for you, is it a matter of I need 12 pieces for this to be a show or I need to have a couple of different themes? Like what feels like your checklist for the art that you need to produce? I think it's that's harder to answer for art because it's such an open-ended process and it could take so much longer than you expect. Whereas, for example, if you're making designs or if I'm making like information architecture for a website, I know the steps. I know mm-hmm. like I have the vision of it in my head. I, all I need to do is translate it into wireframes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so with art, there's always room for surprise. 
I don't know how many layers it's going to take until it's done. I don't uh-huh. know how long it takes for it to take its final shape. So I can't say that I know I need to make 12 of them because I might not have the time. I might only huh. end up making 10. Yeah. So is it just you know you've got shows coming up and then that pushes you to be in the studio more. Right. To make sure that you have something to put up. To have enough time to let the art come out. Yeah. Okay, sure, sure, sure. I mean, sure, I do, like, usually I aim for a certain number if I know the wall space. Maybe there's a theme to the show. There's all kinds of things that could Mm -hmm. shape the art. And if I'm working in certain mediums, it takes longer than others. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of your art is layering. We were talking about collaging and ephemera and things that might start the piece. Um, how do you layer a piece? How, how, what is your process of working on a single piece? I work in several mediums. I really like cyanotype and mixed media. And within the mixed media genre, I use whatever is inspirational to me that can be combined into a new form or texture and multiple layers. Mm -hmm. And so... It's not just having oils and paintbrushes and an easel and going for it. It's a lot more involved process and can take even layers upon layers and layers of different materials. And I love finding these materials in unusual places. So I don't know when a piece is done. Was that one? Yeah, that was going to be my question is like, when, when do you stop? When is it finished? Yeah, well, there's always another layer to add. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a point where I do feel that it is finished. Okay. And I don't, I'm unable to describe when that is or the conditions that must be met for that to happen. It just tells you. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that is just something you have to become tuned to like for designing landscapes they tell me what they want to be like it there are just only a few ways that it could be to fully make sense so that's when it's like oh yeah this feels right yeah what happens if a piece didn't turn out like you'd like do you start over do you repaint it do you set it aside until you know what to do to it to bring it around well most pieces have a an awkward teenage phase mm. where I um I kind of love the idea of like an awkward teenage year like I've not thought of it that way where you're like mm, you're you're evolving into something you're growing <laughs> yeah where I know that it isn't finished but and there's a lot of room for growth and if I just keep working with it something beautiful is going to appear at the end it'll go through puberty and turn into its <laughs> gorgeous adult self yes <laughs> but if i'm working on something and it and i just feel like i'm knocking my head against it uh-huh. and nothing is nothing that i am doing at that moment is making it feel any better i do put it aside yeah and come back to it later okay are there any that you've never come back to i mean there's still plenty of years ahead. Yeah, <laughs> there's time. There's time. <laughs> Is there anything you're intimidated by trying or, or want to try and just haven't dove into it yet? I would really like to explore encaustic. I've taken some workshops in that medium and really felt drawn to it. However, 
I don't have the setup, the safety setup to For do the it. the hot wax? The hot wax and the ventilation and the torch oh. and the... So I don't do that. But I would like to one day really get after that at some point in the future. In the meantime, I've been working on a faux encaustic technique that mm. is reminiscent of the hot wax encaustic. It has the luminous layers and the depth and that velvety texture and satiny sheen. Hmm. Is it the velvety sheen from the wax being layered onto it? Yeah, just layers and layers of that. Huh. So while I'm not able to achieve that 100%, I have gotten close to it with this faux encaustic What technique. materials do you use to give it that layering? Is it like an acrylic? Is it... Yeah, I use layers of acrylic medium and paint. And then I also pull in small areas of collage. I just layer and layer and layer on top of each other and the graphite and huh. all kinds of things. But the gel mediums really with the layers make the depth. Gotcha. Um, I feel like we should talk about cyanotypes. It's made with a certain chemical. It's a chemical reaction, right? Mm -hmm. So this is what engineers and architects used for blueprints, the traditional blueprints it was cheaper to produce lots of copies using this but so how do you use this with like a piece of plant that you've like rotated or, or let it expose and, and you gifted me three beautiful ones that are in my office and so I'm always so I don't know entranced by them because I can see that it is a process like there's something about the art that there's layers to it just by seeing how it's been created. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you do it? Tell me about cyanotypes. Cyanotypes are an alternative photographic process that use an UV emulsion coated on a substrate. It can be fabric, it can be paper. And when that substrate with the emulsion is taken out to the sun and it, there are items on it, on the substrate, the sun will expose the whole thing and where the items are on the substrate, there will be white or mm -hmm. shades of light blue, depending on how you put it all together. Yeah. And so it's a very process oriented technique that involves multiple steps. I work on cyanotypes outside. You set them up and then you go check on them after a couple hours, right? Yeah. It's not quite that long to expose them, and you have to be quick about setting up the vignette so that the paper doesn't expose too much before you get it out in the sun. Oh. And so I do that inside with all the shades drawn, and then I work outside on a table, and then I have bins to rinse them after they're done exposing. What was it like being an artist in the pandemic? Because you got so much out of being in your studio with your studio mates. And I know y'all were trying to be safe and not be exposed to each other. Um, was that really hard for you to have to go back to the house and feel relegated? I mean, I know it was hard for everyone, but like, what was it like for you and what did it do for your art? Well, when we first were asked to stay at home, I left the studio and set up a folding table in the living room and worked from there and did that for many months, but it did get very isolating, even yeah. more so than 
I just wasn't seeing anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And my studio mate is a doctor, and she was working with COVID patients, and so we were basically not using the studio because at that time we didn't know what was happening with right. COVID. How to be careful and right. no and, vaccines yet. Right. So this was started in March, and then by the end of August, I, I realized, I mean, I was still paying for the studio. I wasn't mm-hmm. using it. It was... I realized I needed to start getting out of the house and going somewhere. And so we arranged to have alternating schedules at the studio. So we weren't there oh. at the same time. Uh-huh. And so I was able to work there. And I completed a collection in August using this faux encaustic technique. Uh-huh. And this collection was is part of my an ongoing series called Animal Shields in which I was thinking a lot during the pandemic about what was happening to the animals in the world around us as we were all retreating to our homes. Yeah. Were they feeling a little more freedom? More, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And also just a reminder to protect and connect with animals as we continue forward because we share the earth with them. and Yeah. We've done enough to the environment. How are they doing? Yeah, it was a lovely um, series. I liked you kind of like revealed them every couple of days. There was like a new one. and So Animal Shields, I'm going to put a link to that on the blog post. Um, and some. I'm going to grab some of those photos from you. Um, there was another series that I wanted to make sure we talked about, the Lessons from the Moon can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, happily. So this was a second series that grew out of the pandemic. This was primarily related to the isolation that everybody was feeling and finding ways to connect when you couldn't reach out to people, really. And so for everybody, I imagine it has been different. And for me, it involved taking the dogs out for a walk every day and connecting with nature and then we have an amazing garden so tending to the garden mm-hmm. and I was growing plants that I was using in my cyanotypes or on hikes I would gather sea oats or other beautifully shaped plants with patterns the third thing that really helped me during this time was I mean, I was, of course, worried and thinking about all kinds of things, as I tend to do. But there were some sleepless nights. And mm-hmm. um, and so sometimes I would slip out into the backyard and look up at the moon and ground myself in that way and think about how maybe there are other people out in the middle of the night at that same time looking up at the moon and how we might be connected or maybe they're looking at the moon and thinking about their families in other cities or friends mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or looking up at the moon and having a moment of clarity or peace or beauty or awe. And so I felt that the moon had a lot to teach us. And during that time, she was a steadfast companion mm-hmm. to many of us. Yeah. And so I felt that there were times that maybe all of us were thinking, like looking up at the moon and thinking about community 
or remembering other times. So memory and connection and maybe even transformation during this time. Like what is going to happen? How are we all going to be different at the end of this? I think the moon can offer ways to just sit and ground into yourself and simultaneously reach out. And so I called this series Lessons from the Moon because I thought it was really, it was a deep experience for me during the pandemic. So previously when I was working on cyanotypes, I would was working small scale on fabric. And during the pandemic, I took a big jump and went larger because I really wanted to capture that feeling, the more expansive feeling that you get when you look at, at the moon. Maybe you're in your backyard looking through some trees and you see the moon through the trees. There's a lot of that kind of reaching. Yeah. And looking. So you went from what size to what size? Let's see. 8 by 7 to 11 by 14 and now to 22 by 30 inches. Oh. And I'm making diptychs so they could be 44 by 30 now. What is a diptych? Two panels that go together. Oh, neat. Yeah. And I'm working on heavy watercolor paper because the substrate needs to be wet th three at least three times. Once to coat it with the emulsion and then several rinses at the end. And so... So the watercolor paper is strong enough strong to enough. hold up. Yeah. But the ones that you gave me are fabric, They're no? fabric, yeah. Which I thought was appropriate for you because yeah. you like to sew. I do like it a lot. Um, do you like it on paper or fabric better? It sounds like paper if you're moving to larger pieces. Of yeah, it. I want to go even bigger than that. So paper. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I suppose I could do fabric, but I don't really know how at a certain size how to frame it oh yeah uh -huh. I like the look of the deckled edges of the watercolor paper mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also looks amazing mounted in a like a light maple frame or a thin silver like industrial silver frame do you pick out the frames for all of your pieces yeah the reason I ask is because it's I wonder if that's a part of the experience of thinking about what it looks like on the wall. You know, if you're thinking about the colors oh. of the frames and the size of the frames and how it's matted and how they're all arranged on the wall, it seems like that's another layer of the art. It's not just the single piece. It's sure. the whole. It's the presentation. Yeah. I do think about the presentation a lot. And so... Um, do you go out and get a series of the same frame or do you mix it up and do a couple of one type of frame? And like, how does, how does that I go? typically like to do one style of frame so it looks cohesive, but with the cyanotypes, there are several styles of frames that I just love. And so it's specific to shows though. It's not yes. every piece that you frame. No. Talk a little bit more about being an artist in the pandemic because shows are so important to you because selling art is how you support yourself. What have the shows been like? Have there been any? That's a great question. And I'm not going to lie. It has not been easy. And many of my shows have been postponed multiple times, if not Oof. canceled altogether. So, you know, I'm not the only creative in Austin, I know many, many folks are in the same boat, it, and it's been a real struggle for folks who rely on in-person shows. Mm -hmm. So 
I hope anyone who's listening to this will take a moment to recognize that and support where you can when things open up. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, your website, I'm going to put on a link to all of these so people can see more of your art, but it's yasmin.ws and you can buy art directly from you if you're not in Austin. Um, you're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Gold Current. What do you have coming up as far as shows that we are hoping stay on the calendar? I'm really looking forward to the other art fair happening in Dallas. That should be happening in October, but it's already been postponed three times. Oh, no. So I'm ready and excited for that. I've always wanted to show in Dallas. Yeah. And hope that there will be a lot of great new people I can meet up there Mm -hmm. if the show happens. And then I have a series of holiday shows coming up. The East Austin Studio Tour is happening in November. Last year it was entirely virtual, which really pushed me to learn a lot. I was really proud of myself, actually. I I did my first short film. I made a lot of reels. I had a virtual collection party. I had studio hours on Zoom. I hosted my first workshop and 17 people showed up. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And I had an IGTV interview. Really? Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was really a great way to grow in that that way of presenting in you know mm-hmm. the virtual world. But I'm really excited to have it be back in person. Yeah, there's something about being there with the art that mm-hmm. someone can kind of meander in front of and it really catches them and then you can kind of have this wonderful warm conversation about it and they can like picture it in their house somewhere there's there's nothing that can beat that moment but I'm glad that you were able to find some way to like keep going (laughs) because I mean I know we all have like presenting via zoom for me is the pits tough but it's better than not presenting yeah and there's also something special about my art I use a lot of gold leaf, and so there's a special glimmer and glow that happens when the light passes over it, and so the art changes yeah. during the day. And it is there's next no, to impossible <laughs> for me to capture that the on iridescence <laughs> in a flat image. Yeah, does it doesn't translate. So there's a lot of depth and detail and shimmer and texture and layer and things that you just really can't see very well in photography on Zoom. You know, you got to see it in person. So I hope that that opportunity comes back soon. People can come to the shows listed on this blog post. Uh, and Canopy's also starting to open up again where the artists open their studios first and, Saturday of the month. Oh. So we're just starting that back up. I mean, I've never participated in because I'm just I'm but just moving in, in the but collective I'm, we now. Yeah, I'm in the collective we, and I'm <laughs> I'm looking forward to meeting more people that way. So, I mean that that space is really interesting because all of the storefronts, um, it's kind of like an open mall. It's like the domain essentially, where you are outside until you walk up to the storefront. Well, there are different buildings, so and you go so you walk into. Yeah, I'm in building one, which is two levels, oh. and there are studio closed studios on 
those two levels. I guess mm-hmm. I've only been to the open one, like where Satin is. Yeah, and Lisa, Lisa Crowder. Crowder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love her. Yeah. yeah, so there is that section of it, too. I love Canopy, guys. Everybody should go to Canopy and walk around. You also, oh, talk about the Austin City Hall. Oh, yeah, that's been pretty exciting. Um, I've had two pieces up at the People's Gallery in City Hall for the last few years. And I'm <laughs> I'm thrilled about it. Do, is it the same, like it was one piece one year and another piece another year? Or you've had two pieces for two years? I had one piece for a year and a second piece for two years. Was it a different, like, contest? Or did they just ask you to change it oh right every year they have a jury submission okay and so i applied for that oh and you got it two years in a row yeah that's awesome is it going again this year like how, when so is the next? i think they're opening up a new call for entry in january mm-hmm. is there a point of view or arrangements of colors and images that you feel is distinctly you and like how would you describe that you might have already set like the layering and the shimmering and Mm. but I wonder if there's something that when you look at these pieces that you do where you're like yes that is my point of view Hmm. when I talk to people about my art if we're looking you know at a show we're looking at a piece and they describe how it makes them feel they often say words like feels very mysterious poetic graceful colorful, mm-hmm. peaceful. I can see that. Do you I, think that's something that you are trying to make for yourself? Like something you seek? Oh, that's interesting. Or I it, mean, sure, I would love to have that be surrounded by that all uh-huh. the time. <laughs> I also feel like my pieces tell a story and there's history with them and within them. Mm-hmm. Storytelling. And I think they bring people... A sense of joy and yeah. I that makes me very happy how do you feel emotionally after you spend time painting like is it something that fulfills you and gives you energy do you feel like you've given a lot to it so then you know you've taken some emotional spoons out of your cup like is it a give or a take if I'm on a regular flow of getting in the studio every day then it feels really great because even if I don't finish mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I've made progress and that always feels good and oftentimes when I'm in the middle of business side of things and I don't get in the studio as often as I like then I get very anxious mm-hmm. and takes from me yeah like oh, I want to get I want to get back in the studio it's like this perfect system of pulling from you and giving back to you (laughs) and in order to make more work to give back to you you have to sell it and take I think at some point there's a tipping point perhaps for people yeah you know where online sales are steady and I mean that's another thing that is a process-oriented task but that isn't necessarily creative like taking orders packing them taking them post office you know that's you need takes, a helper. Takes time. I would love to have a helper. <laughs> I want to help her. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's why I have an operations manager. It's the stuff that like I'm perfectly capable of doing. I don't want to do them. It's not the best use of my time. And so 
if someone is like happy to do them for me. Um, yeah, that's do. a dream. A studio assistant, which yeah. would give me more time in the studio to create more work that can then lead to more shows. Yeah, someday that could be like Eloise or something. It could right. be like a weekend job packing up <laughs> paintings for you. Love it. You could pay her and like candy bars or something. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be fine. <laughs> Uh, what is this holiday bundle on your website in November? Did we talk about that? We haven't talked about it, but I am making some plans to have a special holiday bundle coming up for the season. Ooh. So stay tuned on my website. So this is like perfect for gifting. 100%. Excellent. What are the surprises in the works for 2022? Oh, I can't tell you. They're just surprises. <laughs> they are. There will be. And you need to come <laughs> check back. Also, we're still in a pandemic, so I hope they happen. <laughs> so I don't want to announce too soon. Yes, it can be surprises for 2023. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, find your work at the cathedral. Oh, yes. I'm a member of ATX Gals, and the headquarters for ATX Gals is in the cathedral. And they host amazing art and music nights and art shows and music shows and events weddings it's a beautiful venue where is this it's a co-working space beautiful co-working space oh. that in the evening hosts events and there are also offices upstairs people rent and studios so it's close to chestnut and chestnut and 16th so it's in east austin yes i love that you're like really representing east austin oh yeah and art us co market yeah that's up in the arboretum it's uh, near the Barnes & Noble. Uh -huh. Is it like a pop-up market? It, it started as a pop-up market last holiday season, and then it has extended, and there are over 80 artists and artisans <gasps> represented there, and it's a great place to shop for local gifts. So is it a brick-and-mortar now? Yeah. Oh, neat. Mm -hmm. And Limbo Jewelry. Yep, at uh, the domain. Uh, um. Oh, is so you have art up at the jewelry yeah, store? Yeah, I have cyanotypes up oh. there. So if you have a store in Austin that you need some art on your walls, talk to Yasmin. Um, or a boutique hotel. Oh, yeah. Um, restaurants, coffee shops. <laughs> this would be perfect for you. Is there anything else? I minted my first NFT this week. What? Is, what? what is NFT? It's a non-fungible token on the blockchain. And you can find my NFT on Hick and Nun. I, I feel like I need to Google every single one of those words. <laughs> Is this like so a it's thing? a way to collect art online with a, a certificate of authenticity. Oh, neat. I, I guess that's a way you could explain it. Okay. Uh, They're blowing up right now. I know. I feel like I just learned something. And that makes me very happy. All right. Last question. If you were to give yourself a title for your creative identity, what would your title be? I am a mixed media dreamer. Mm. Yes, I love that. That's perfect. Well, thank you, Yasmin. And thanks to our listeners. We hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of Chatty Crafties. Go to chattycrafties.com for a blog post on this episode with links, photos of Yasmin's art, her tentative art show schedule, social media for at the gold current and at chatty crafties and where to find her pieces online. 
This episode was hosted and produced by me, Angelica Norton. Now, if you find yourself nice and grounded and can see the moon from here, it's time to get a paintbrush and a scrap of vintage wallpaper and go make some art. <laughs>